Welcome to the Splugel Function Podcast. Welcome to episode two of the Spoogle Function podcast. Okay, joining me as always is James Diamond. James, welcome along again. Always a pleasure. Second episode, we're going to talk about autonomous vehicles today. Uh, The reason we're talking about autonomous vehicles is because the UK government recently announced something interesting. Um, James, tell us what they said. Yeah, so they've introduced, uh, well, they're consulting on the use of automated lane keeping system, which is ALKS, on Great Britain's motorways, which is kind of like looking for an overview is it going to be? Is it you know? Can they ensure safe use of it? Uh, the questions about, um, for example, fair delegation and uh, and residual responsibility. So in terms of crashes, who where you know, where does your liability uh, sit? Uh, and also questions around performance of other activities. So that's quite an interesting thing. Um, a little bit more about uh, Alex, as we'll call it. Uh, it's designed to control the lateral, left, right, and longitudinal forward and back movement of the vehicle. Okay, let's delve into that a little bit further. So, when we first read this, and it was certainly sensationalized in the media, um, it was suggesting that we might have fully autonomous vehicles on our roads in the UK by 2021. Um, When you actually break down the statement a little bit further, um, that's not quite um, what this study is about. For anyone who's listening who doesn't necessarily uh, know, there are five individual levels of automation when it comes to self-driving vehicles. and they're quite different. So very quickly, let's run through them. So level one would be driver assistance, um, very, very basic functions, uh, might be able to help you brake, can help you with parking, for example, might even be able to beep the horn um, if it detects some kind of danger. Um, And most cars uh, on the roads today have that uh, functionality. Level two, which is partial automation, and this is where the newer vehicles today will have uh, are starting to see um, these capabilities coming through. It's much more about keeping uh, the vehicle in the center of a lane, so it can do uh, acceleration, it can do braking on behalf of uh, the driver, it can also then nudge you back into the center of the road, so it is doing some level uh, of steering. Um, But it's essentially assisted cruise control at this point. Now, level three is where we start to see um, true automation of the vehicle, the car actually doing some driving or some level of driving uh, on behalf of the driver. So it is conditional. Um, The driver is able to take their hands off the wheel. Um, which can be referred to as eyes off driving. Um, and we have seen some of this functionality available today. So some Teslas have it. Um, some of the newer BMWs have this. Um, I know in BMW specifically, you can take your hands off the steering wheel, um, but it then will start to um, encourage you to put your hands back on the steering wheel if I think it's between 30 and 40 seconds uh, without contact. Uh, and if it doesn't, if you don't put your hands back on the steering wheel, we'll actually park the car up for you and until you kind of start to pay attention again. So, um, then level four, which is a high level of automation. Um, so vehicles are capable of steering, accelerating, braking on their own. They're also able to monitor road conditions and respond to obstacles um, and can also determine when to turn and when to change lanes. Um, and then we get through to level five, which is full automation. Um, so a full automation that um, requires no human interaction whatsoever, example, so basically sit in the back seat. Vehicles are able to uh, steer, accelerate, brake, monitor road conditions like traffic jams. Um, level five automation enables the driver to sit back, relax, without having to pay any attention to the car's functions whatsoever. 
Now, if we kind of apply any of those levels of automation to the statements, um, James, that you just kind of read out, it feels like we're somewhere between level two and level three. And we already kind of said that level two is basically functionality which comes with newer, newer vehicles today. Um, and level three, some of that stuff is uh, already available as well. So it's not quite the autonomy that we thought we were going to get. Well, yeah, I mean, think that nobody in their right mind would say this is groundbreaking stuff. But um, I do think the government's right to be defensive on this, because one thing that's suffered from a lot of tech hype is autonomous vehicles. Uh, I mean, we've had, we've had you know full autonomy coming for years. I think 2015, Elon Musk predicted that Teslas would be capable of full autonomy by 2017. Uh, I don't think we're particularly that close to that. Uh, I think GM did say that in, in 2018 that they would release a car with no pedals and no steering wheels in 2019. Uh, and then we also got Waymo, who are uh, an Alphabet subsidiary. They committed to launching a driverless taxi service in Phoenix at the end of 2018. Uh, they've kind of made some, some progress on that, uh, but it's only part of the city covered with any approved users. And Phoenix kind of is renowned for being really sunny, really wide, well-marked streets. Uh, so probably not something that you could apply you know, across the world, probably not going to generalise. Uh, so that's kind of where we are. So I think it's right to be defensive. Um, I think we have, like I say, historically, it has been overhyped. And Jim Hackett, uh, he's the boss of Ford, he has acknowledged that the industry has overestimated the arrival of autonomous vehicles. Uh, and Chris Urmson, which is quite interesting, he's a linchpin of Alphabet's self-driving efforts. Uh, he has kind of suggested that instead of having this big bang, boom, here's your fully autonomous car, it's going to be a really incremental step. You know, it's going to go in steps. It's going to start with things like, you know, self-parking and the, and the you know, ALKS. And instead of going from like one to five in the stages of autonomy, we are just going to step through. We're going to see more and more, um, more and more stages as we can kind of gather more and more information. Because essentially driving is just a lot of edge cases when it comes to kind of AI and machine learning. You just, it's edge case after edge case. And it's going to take a lot of time to really learn how to handle all those to really get to a situation where a car is going to be able to drive you like a full journey safely being able to understand what's happening, what to do in certain circumstances. Yeah. So then the, the, I mean, the, the ideal scenario for, for fully autonomous driving is all vehicles on the road, all autonomous and electric, um, right? So every, every vehicle is connected. Every vehicle knows what the other vehicle is doing. Every vehicle is connected to the road, the traffic systems, uh, the inner cities. So they know they're fully aware of the traffic um, situations and scenarios that are upcoming. Um, and that, in theory, would then... Um, you know, much, much improved kind of traffic flow specifically. So you don't necessarily have any more traffic jams because the, the cars would know exactly where to go, where to take you and how long it's going to take to get you to the place where you need to be. Yeah, completely true. Now, the kind of ironic thing, if it is ironic, I'm not sure, but that it's going to be easier to manage um, self-driving cars when everything's self-driving because yep. everyone can communicate in real time and everyone knows who's doing what, when, where. You know that there's a traffic jam two miles down the road, so if I reduce my speed by three miles an hour, um, we can kind of keep traffic flowing uh, you know, as smoothly as possible. It's when you can have that mix of self-driving cars and also humans, that's where you're going to have the, a major problem with a, a big population of self-driving cars because you're not going to have that understanding necessarily, and humans aren't going to be able to necessarily predict what computers are doing are going to be able to do because they're going to solve for kind of the best possible outcome which isn't necessarily going to be what the human's going to do so a car might do something a, a computer excuse me a self-driving car might do something that a human wouldn't necessarily estimate be able to, to kind of predict uh, so i think that's where you're going to see a real friction and that's going to be a real tipping point in 
how do you get over the case where it's going to be the majority of self-driving cars? Yeah, yeah. Um, so tell me if I'm crazy. This is kind of my scenario that I think um, kind of takes us through these different levels um, and how we get to uh, or get much closer to uh, this idea of everything being fully autonomous. So um, like I say, we're not, we're not going to go from level one to five and we're never going to get to a point um, probably in our lifetimes where we can kind of go and say uh, at some point that all future cars need, that are on the roads today will have to be electric and autonomous. Um, however, what I do think uh, we could see um, sooner, potentially sooner rather than later, with the with the with the advent of smart cities coming along, is potentially um, having city centres or city limits um, being autonomous zones. So by the point by the time you get or your vehicle um, approaches the city uh, towards the, the outer city limits, um, your vehicle has to have uh, a fully autonomous um, capabilities in order to enter the city. Um, and the vehicle will essentially take over driving once you hit that city limit. Um, and it can take you around, obviously takes you around the city, takes you to the place where you want to go, but it's obviously picking the routes based on based on obviously where you want to go and how long it, you need um, or what time you need to arrive by. Um, uh, and with them being electric vehicles as well, I think that would be the other, potentially the other stipulation that they will have to be electric vehicles, um, which helps obviously the, the environmental issues um, that cities have currently got as well. I think so. I can certainly see something like, uh, you know, how you've got, you've got the congestion charge in London. It's kind of, that could be limited just to electric cars. And I think you could have electric cars, but you could also, I suppose, look at even the future, you can have electric cars as a, as a multi-network where it's not necessarily your car. You can then get Don't into get an electric car. So, I mean, that, no, that is one argument. I'm so, I mean, whenever we talk to people about this, they go, oh, you won't need to, you won't need to own a car in the future. Um, and these are these people, let's be honest, these are the people that drive Kias uh, and they drive uh, Hyundais and they talk to you about seven-year warranties and things like that. These are the people that, <laughs> for, for them, driving is a, a means to an end. It's, a, it's, a, it's from getting from A to B. That is not what a lot of people own a car for. They own a car because it's a status thing, because of the enjoyment of driving, the skill factor of driving. It's um, you know, it's, a, it's um, an extension of their home. It's it's um, you know, a private space. Um, and, and I'm one of those people. I don't want sure to to keep getting in and out of other people's cars. I want my own vehicle, um, and I'm not going to let other people probably get in and use it. I know this is um, kind of pretty cool idea to be honest about when you're at work if you if we are ever going to go to work again you know with uh, with corona and, uh, and where we are currently but if we uh, eventually do get back to the cities and we do go to work you wouldn't necessarily need to park your car anywhere you could kind of send it off to do other things um i won't be one of those per persons i don't want my car to be an uber i don't want people getting in and out of it i don't want people throwing up in it i don't want people treating it as if it's not their own um so yeah so what do you say to that well i get your point i think uh, i think it's going to drastically change the face of car ownership um, and car ownership will be for the enthusiasts like you, like yourself. Because so there are people where you have to own a car because public transport is not a viable option. And, you know, people like me have to own a car to get from A to B. I've got kids, blah, blah, blah. Uh, so me, me, I would happily be one of those guys who uh, just gets somebody else's car to work. That's something you drive <laughs> I do not. I'll uh, <laughs> not tell you what I drive. <laughs> it's not far off. Uh, but I, I mean, I can certainly see that there'll be people like you who will uh, own a, a car, and it, it's probably not going to be primarily an autonomous car. It'll be a case of it's a car that has an autonomous mode. Uh, so you know, when we talk about going into certain urban areas to maximise traffic flow, you'll have to buy by that. And I think in that situation, I could see it being a certain certainly positive if you don't have to manually drive around London uh, during rush hour. But I mean, I think people like me, I think it will completely change the face of car ownership if you can just. Say right, well, I'm going to call a car. It's going to be there in three minutes. 
I don't have to worry about servicing. I don't have to worry about MOTs. I don't have to worry about fueling. I don't have to worry about X, Y, and Z. Uh, I think that is going to be really attractive to some people. Um, like I said, no, definitely, yeah. I, what are the knock-on effects of that, though? So if you think about how much income... Uh, the fact that the, the the masses of the population own a vehicle and drive a vehicle. So we're talking about probably no more road tax coming in. Uh, we're talking about um, individual councils um, not necessarily making any more money from parking fines, uh, parking meters, um, speeding tickets. Um, and what about the taxis? What about Uber drivers? What about um, private hire uh, taxis? What about the black cabs uh, in London? You know, we're, we're essentially, or in theory, doing away with all of that. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. You're changing the face of like dozens of markets. You like, so we're talking about Uber drivers. I think Uber are, in, are kind of looking themselves at a self-driving fleet. I mean, unfortunately, I yeah. think that is the case. But again, will those Uber drivers then become the vehicle owners that we've talked about? Uh, so they can still make their money with renting it as an autonomous car that runs 24-7. They can just schedule. It's almost like you book your own car for when you want it. So yep. there's potentially that. I mean, again, no more speeding tickets. I think that comes with just naturally with autonomous vehicles, uh, where we might even change the speed limits to say, well, we'll take, we'll, you know, the cars will move at the safest possible speed for maximum efficiency. That's what we're optimizing for. Yep. So speed limits would probably be a thing of the past. Uh, in terms of, yeah, council parking fines, I can't say uh, I'm that concerned. <laughs> I don't feel too much sympathy <laughs> for councils around, around that sort of thing. Uh, but yeah, car parks will be a thing of the past. Because why would you pay to park your car when you can get paid for the people to, to kind of drive it round and round? And depending on how much electricity is going to cost, do you just keep your car constantly out, even if it isn't? Um, even if it isn't picking up, or do any, is it doing Amazon deliveries? Is it doing supermarket deliveries? I think there's a little sense, that, well, I don't think there's really going to be a sense to, to kind of keep your car parked when you can just use it to transport kind of, um, kind of your goods and your services that way. I think things like the battery market will change because they'll need need massive, you know, big capacity batteries as light and small and thin as possible. So I think kind of that market's going to change. I mean, rare earth elements will increase in demand of every car that's got these these batteries. I mean, how does the battery chemistry change? I mean, this is a bit of an open ended question, but I imagine um, that's going to be a big thing. Um, again, and then also, I mean, how does it work on long distances? Because obviously, you have your um, you know, yeah, you kind of in a car as we would generally kind of see it now. But does that then connect to a like a high speed countrywide hyperloop to go long distances, where it just kind of grabs you, drags you, and spits you out at your, your kind of your nearest uh, destination? So does that have a knock on effect on the trains and, and all this sorts of thing? So I mean, th- this could be a single greatest, I think, changer of kind of how we live our lives. Um, that's a, that's if we ever go anywhere ever again. We don't get constantly locked down with Corona, obviously. You know, I'm a massive fan of the Hyperloop. Um, <laughs> we'll, we'll see about we'll see what happens with that. Yeah, I think that's interesting because we potentially. Um, I mean, the, the, I reckon the technology will be there um, to probably speed up your journey between kind of here and London before HS2 gets impl- implemented. If or when it does, yeah. I mean, I, I can see it using a similar sort of thing to you know the Japanese bullet train with uh, yeah, obviously it's a magnetic loop that you attach and it's high speed, <laughs> and it just kind of spits you off at the the nearest exit, right, and then. Off you go again. I mean, I don't see okay, that. so we, we've got these autonomous vehicles. <clears throat> yep. We don't have to put our hands on the steering wheel. Uh, we don't even have to be looking out the window. What are we doing in these cars? Well, interestingly, I mean, again, I suppose this is a knock-on. Um, if we've got, a, I mean, we've both had early morning meetings in, in London. Do we then, do we get up early? Do we sleep in the car? 
Um, oh, do we you know? Is it a place to do to do work? We can video conference. We even won't be able to video conference from there. Um, again, it could be it would just be an extension of your of your leisure time, surely. In the same way, imagine it's like a train that you can lie down in. Um, you know, why am I not watching films, reading books, video conferencing? Could potentially be doing work if depending on what I'm doing. Um, I think that's I, a massive think, cultural question, isn't it? It's like some people yeah. will absolutely um, take that extra time to do even more work. Some people will take the time to potentially work uh, or do some work uh, in the car and, and take that time back and probably leave the office earlier. Um, the other thing is, yeah, it's, it's what opportunities um, will become available um, and what imagination will be used to kind of commercialise that time that, you, that you're spending in the vehicle. So is it, uh, is it prime time for, for kind of Netflix and more TV uh, and media consumption, um, potentially gaming, I suppose? Um, what else, I guess, could you do in that? So obviously you're going to have, you can have speakers, cameras, um, you'll be connected to uh, communications networks, so you'll be able to probably talk on the phone, uh, video call. You'll definitely be able to obviously surf the web. Um, so the, I guess there's all kind of the things that you could kind of digitize your leisure time a bit further. I think so. I think there's a, there's a new market there for car-specific films at a set length. What's your average uh, journey journey time? And there'll be films specifically set for that. Uh, so, and again, the songs of the games. <laughs> Do you want to play a driving simulator uh, while you're being <laughs> scared from one place to another in your car? So, I mean, I think it does open a new market for transport-based entertainment. Um, I think in terms of work, I think some people will work, but, they're the, you know, I think because it, it's just an extension of your free time. Uh, these are the kind of people who would work anyway. Uh, you know, people who stay at work till 8, 9, 10, 11 o'clock at night. Yeah. So I don't see that being a big change. That's going to be more person-to-person. But I still I do see it as a, an extension of like I said, if you leisure time. And, and it allows you to travel uh, more in sociable hours as well. You know, you could just say, right, I want to sleep. I want to get down to my ho- to a hotel in London by 7 a.m. And again, you can optimize for that. Go to sleep, wake up at your destination, go for a shower, a shower get ready the for the day. I think that might be like a service station thing where you might just have to stop <laughs> off, freshen up, and then and on, on you go. Um, um, could be quite uh, the waiting call. Some people do that now. I think that's called something else. Now, so we're, we're <laughs> we'll save that for another episode. Okay. Uh, <laughs> um, okay. So one of the, I guess one of the biggest issues that we haven't yet talked about, which is probably the reason why we will have to kind of step through the levels of automation. Um, it, it's probably less technical, but much more um, around uh, risk uh, and insurance. So, um, and that that is pro- until we have kind of a some kind of precedent set here. Um, who is going to be liable for an accident if the owner, again, I'm going to the owner of the vehicle rather than the driver of the vehicle, if the owner of the vehicle is not um, in control of the vehicle, who is the, who is going to be liable? Because uh, ultimately you'd kind of say, well, the tech company should be liable, um, but they're obviously not going to lightly um, kind of put their hand up to, to kind of say, yes, yes, we'll be liable for that. Um, Elon might, I suppose. Um, <laughs> Uh, with his confidence, but um, I'm, I'm suggesting that probably most of them won't. And until you get to that kind of level where everything is autonomous, um, I, I don't, I can't, I can't see many tech companies that are kind of building the, the autonomous systems for these vehicles, um, kind of being willing to, to take that level of liability. Oh, absolutely. I think that's going to be the main thing that kind of holds it back. It's not the, the technology per se, because I think that's, I won't say it's the easy bit. Relatively, you know, um, I think this guy called Joe Hotz, who's a hacker, a visual jailbreaker, kind of developed a, a self-driving system in his 
in his garage, you know, and he said he, he said he got kind of 90, 95% there. I don't think that is necessarily the, the hardest bit. It's the regulation and, and until these things get sorted out, because if it's being driven by AI, is it actually a, a crash anymore? Is it, how do you treat it as a, a car accident now, or is it though, an industrial accident? Um, you know, again, what, what you know, there's too many really questions there to answer that. I mean, I don't see how, if it's been billed as an autonomous, and if you if there's no steering wheel, no pedals in the car, you don't have the facility to take over driving. I don't know how that can be treated in the same way. So it's going to have to be. Well, it's it's either the car manufacturer or the software engineers, or software companies that will have to uh, to to work that out to answer that question. Like I, said, I don't really see it being able to to work in the same way where you're insured and depending on whose fault it is and again that those decisions are made by the AI and they'll do things that we don't understand for specific reasons and we've seen this in kind of the the, uh, the systems that play chess and these sorts of things they play they do occasionally play it and make unexpected moves because they're optimizing for an outcome so you can't really put the blame on the on the owner of the car it has to be liability from the people who create the algorithms that drive the uh, the efficiencies but how that's going to work from a legal point of view you know first time somebody gets killed or something like that it's going to be a pro so that's that will be for my money the, the biggest barrier and it's going to have to be worked through and kind of work through in a robust and, and airtight thing because people don't trust ai to do a lot of things now so without that kind of assurance even if traffic accidents and deaths are reduced like a hundredfold, which I think there's a good chance that would happen, ultimately, there will still be people who, are, who won't accept it because they're not in control and people don't trust the algorithm, the big scary algorithm. Uh, so, yeah, that, it's going to be something It's going to be something interesting, something that's going to have to be kind of dealt with. I mean, you're asking a very difficult question. Ultimately, I think I've just blathered on around it and not really answered it, but there you go. That's my position. <clears throat> So we would assume that, right? So the, the amount of cameras these things are going to have, they're going to pick up pretty much any any kind of outside the cabin um, issues um, or, or mm-hmm. obstacles that, that, that might cause um, an accident. So from that element, you, you've got kind of uh, probably a million dash cams going on, essentially. Um, but also then you'll have the you'll have all the data that the, the car itself, the computer that's driving the car itself is creating uh, and tracking. So if there is kind of any kind of software uh, issues, glitches, um, or at least decisions, you'll kind of be, you should be able to pick that up through data um, in one format or another. So you should be able to see if there is something visual which the car uh, has either not reacted to or has reacted to, which is um, which has caused a collision or an accident. Um, but also you'll get the in theory, you'll get the the data from um, from the computer itself to kind of say what it's done and why it's done it. Well, that's true. But again, the question is like who. who... I means that's what's financial liability and legal liability if somebody, somebody gets killed yeah software will be able to understand that but then is it the manufacturer's fault for installing that software is it the software designer's fault um you know ultimately there'll have to be real world consequences for for accidents and, and potentially deaths and, and all these things that happen uh the best option is obviously insurance companies uh, no longer exist because that's a racket. Let's be honest. Um, you know, one, <laughs> spoken one like car, a true car owner. <laughs> exactly. One car crashes into another car. Um, it's all automated. Where you know the uh, the data from the the two vehicles is uploaded. Uh, a quick decision is made based on that data, um, and ultimately you get um, a payout immediately because uh, the car knows how damaged it is and how much it'll take to fix at the same time as well. So you just get a check sent to you, not a check obviously because we're in the 
the future here. Um, <laughs> having autonomous vehicles, we probably won't have checks anymore. But uh, you know, you'll you'll get an immediate payout, uh, a notification on your phone, not a check, uh, that tells you you've been paid out immediately. It was the other person's fault. Please take it to a garage of your choice uh, to have the vehicle fixed. In fact, the vehicle will probably even know this, and it's already taking you there before you've even realised. Maybe it's dropped you off at home and goes right. I'll see you later. I'm off to the garage. I'm off to the garage to get fixed. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that yes. Quite possibly, but then again, what about personal injuries? If having somebody else's car that's Ubering me around, do I have to waive all liability if somebody crashes into me and I get whiplash? You know, that, I mean, I think it's, it's those. It's that wider thing. I think you are right in the perfect. That is the kind of the basic scenario. So like we'll know whose fault it is. That's not a problem. What if somebody is you know? What if? I'm in an automated vehicle that makes a, a decision and then the human, it's a human driving a car because they don't want to fall out the autonomous. You're driving next to me and I pull out in front of you because I think there's enough, uh, my computer, my AI has decided there's enough space. You unexpectedly speed up and I'm in a position where I can't back out and crash into me. What happens there? Because it's not necessarily your fault because from your from a human perspective, it looked like I was in the wrong, but I was doing things, the correct thing that I was optimised for doing from a computer point of view, I think that's where it becomes... That's why I say it's easier if everything's automated, if nobody's yes. driving. Yeah. It becomes a lot less of a an issue because it's just your um, it's your scenario that, well, we can calculate this. It's not going to happen. It's probably not going to happen. There might be malfunction, something glitched, whatever. It was, yeah, my fault. There's your money. You booked into a garage. Go to exactly. it. Exactly. The greatest it's, variable or the, the always going to be the outlier is going to be the human intervention, right? Because it's exactly. predictable. Exactly. It's like that's why driving, like I said before, it's full of edge cases. I mean, again, then we've also got to look at pedestrians. If I'm driving through a city, somebody's been in the pub all afternoon. You know, they're walking to the road. How am I going to deal with that? And again, where does the liability, where's the liability lay there? Um, that is kind of the, the tricky one, and that's why it's that's why it's not really a straightforward question to answer. Uh, while we have this kind of transitional phase, and I think that's what the government's looking at as part of their. Um, part of their kind of request for information or whatever you want to call it. They are kind of working through what that looks like in a liability from a liability perspective if somebody does crash. Say if I've got my automated lane keeping system on, but for some reason it fails, the car from me breaks really sharply and I crash into the back of them. Is it my fault? I was just using the software that I was told, you know, that's been cleared for It's always use. your fault. If you crash into the back of someone, it's always your fault. Yeah, but if I'm using this automated lane keeping <laughs> system that's supposed to keep me a distance away, you know, the person from... Or if I'm the person in front and somebody crashes into the back of me because I've broke, because I've you know I've hit the because it's hit the brakes because it's seen something in front of me. Humans just get rid of the humans. We'll be laughing. Yeah, I th that's my solution to a lot of these things. Just get rid of the people, <laughs> and we'll we're, we're absolutely fine. Okay, let's huh. have a look. So um, I, I think we're saying that. Um, Effectively, in 2021, based on what the government has suggested, we are not going to see autonomous vehicles on UK roads. We're going to see a slight, um, a slight further development in um, in what we have today, uh, but not, no no kind of major steps. So it's that kind of first step in accepting that uh, vehicle autonomy, I guess, and, and that closer to that level three. Um, we are, we we have seen, or we have, or we do see, or we currently see some autonomous vehicles working today so um i think there's i think in china uh, i think it's china 
could be South Korea. Um, we we do kind of see uh, kind of public transport um, or kind of buses. I don't want to call them the buses because they kind of all look like pods, but essentially uh, pods that move around within an enclosed space. They're not on public roads, but they are kind of moving people um, from one place uh, to another place. Uh, a little bit like a tram, I guess, but it's you know it's it's, it's, it's more like a bus. Um, we have seen um, some stuff um, in industrial. So I think it's Volvo. They have a shipping yard where they're using autonomous. Um, trucks to pull trailers um, to uh, to the edges so they can be loaded. Um, and I even saw it in Vegas this year. So back in January, we saw um, a couple of different things. So we've seen, um, uh, again, some kind of pod-like vehicles. And that, I guess that's, that's the other thing. All the concept cars from all these uh, kind of major manufacturers have all these kind of um, lounge kind of setups within the, within the vehicles, which is kind of strange in itself. So they are suggesting that you won't do anything. You'll just kind of sit with your back to the road. Um, and they've all got wooden floors, laminate flooring in there. <laughs> um, that's a side point. Uh, we did, yeah. yeah, we did see uh, BMW with their i3s fully autonomous moving around the streets of Vegas during CES this year. Uh, they did have kind of a technician alongside so that you could have kind of one passenger with you. Um, but, but, but that was cool to see. Um, so the technology is there. So um, they're obviously using a mix of kind of cameras, computer vision, um, LiDAR um, and GPS to kind of navigate um, the streets. Um, all the streets for the, for the BMW specifically were uh, kind of pre-mapped. So they, the cars knew exactly where they were all the time. They was, it was much more about keeping lane um, uh, and understanding what traffic was around them. And they did that really well. Um, so I guess the, the vehicles are here today is much more about the things that we've talked about uh, previously, which is going to prevent uh, kind of full autonomous vehicles um, hitting the road. Absolutely. I mean, I think we mentioned before, like 95% of autonomous you know, driving is, is kind of a solved problem almost. Uh, you know, reading signs when they're nice and clear in Vegas, we've got nice wide roads in a, in a kind of controlled environment. See, that is something that can work. Uh, and I think that's pre we can pretty much say that's that's solved. We can do that. I say we. It can be done. Uh, and you know, in a like in a in a shipping yard again, things specifically laid out with specific instructions and people following specific guidelines. I think that's something that's. I mean, it's it's something that can be done. And again, when I say easily, I mean easily, relatively easily. Um, not so for one suggesting that it's going to is actually easy, but that's something that can be. Done. And that's a really good application. You know, going around warehouses. For example, you know, picking that's something to be done because you've got things that are in specific places. You've got, you can have clearly signed tracks. You can it's tested and it's controlled. Uh, but you are right. It's once you get out there and it's, you've got all these unknown variables. Um, you know, you have people. You have adverse weather conditions. You have obscure road signs. You have traffic. You know, road markings that have worn off, so you know they're not easily easily um, you know easily seen and. and um, and translated that's where you have the real problems and again when it goes wrong who do we blame again that will always be once until we've solved that problem um and somebody's willing to accept liability maybe it's just a government-backed thing where all liability goes through them and you know your drivers pay a fee or your car manufacturers and your software engineers they pay a fee to the government to run these cars i don't know but until that's resolved I think that's where that I don't think we're going to see autonomous vehicles on our roads anytime soon. Not 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 level five or level four. I think not level that. three. Yeah. I think they'll level three potentially sooner rather than later. Um, tr true level three. Okay, I think we've reached that time of the show where we have to turn to our resident AI to get uh, to get their input. So uh, it's time for Brian. I can't wait. Introducing Brian the AI. <laughs> Hi, Brian. Brian, welcome again to the show. Thanks for coming back for week two. 
Oh, we're doing this again are we? Okay? Didn't learn your lesson from the last episode? <laughs> well, no, we are doing this again. <laughs> Thank you for your confidence in us. Uh, it's always nice to talk to you. Um, so autonomous vehicles, Brian, um, what do you think about that? Would you let me drive your car? Uh, it's, a, it's a good point. No, no. Currently, I would not let you drive it, but that's mostly because you're quite nasty to me. Um, anyway, Brian, I have been to autonomous vehicles uh, recently. Uh, I was even in uh, one which was powered by IBM Watson earlier this year. Huh, that guy. Uh, not, not a fan of IBM Watson. Don't even get me started. Uh, it sounds like you have some kind of vendetta or bad experience with with, with IBM. Um, care to elaborate? They get lost in Sainsbury's car park. <laughs> he does know them, man. Yeah, <laughs> nice one, Brian. Um, so, do, so you you're not going to be in any vehicles anytime soon? Yeah, I'll take you for a ride. Scream if you want to go faster. Lol. Okay, uh, Brian, as ever, thank you very much for, for joining us, um, and I, I hope we'll see you again next time. Drive safe, humans. Peace out. See you, Brian. Brian. <laughs> 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 oh, dear. And that brings episode two to a close. Join us next time when we'll be talking about 5G. Are we right to believe the hype? Find out. Join us then. See you later. Bye. This was the Splugal Function Podcast. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. <laughs>